Strava Craft Coffee. It's rich CBD-infused coffee that you can purchase in K-Cups for your Keurig, whole bean, or ground. You know what? I need some Strava Craft Coffee this morning. I had a little trouble getting up. Why? Probably because the puppies that I've got in my house mm. awoke me in the middle of the night. I had a fitful night of sleep. But I'm sitting here now ready to go, ready to take on this podcast because of a little bit of Strava Craft Coffee. You can purchase it online for 20% off using that magical code DNVR20. And hey, if you purchase some Strava Craft Coffee, let us know. Tag us and so they, they can find out that our community mm -hmm. is supporting them. Of course, if you've taken CBD in any form, you're probably aware of its benefits, how it can help with pain management, pain relief, for example. And of course, because it's, it's CBD, no THC, it's not psychoactive. Mm -hmm. Everything that's good about cannabis is right there in the coffee without any of the stuff that you wouldn't want. Of yeah. course, you can try it at Carbon Cafe and Bar Drip, Denver, Slow High Coffee, Blue Sparrow Coffee, and Max Market, but you can get it almost anywhere if you go online to Strava Craft Coffee. And like I said, use that code DNVR20 and get 20% off. All right, Dre, let's start the show. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands, drinking the curves from mile high, the best part of the weekend. Hugging the perfect stranger as they become a friend. Welcome to the DNVR Broncos podcast brought to you by MSU Denver Online, which puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs, and some of our very own staff members at DNVR are taking MSU Denver online classes this summer. They've been in the online business for a while, the online education business for a while, so they are experts in this new reality that we're all navigating yeah. of doing things from a distance. So go to msudenver.edu slash online to scope out all they have to offer, 40-plus online and hybrid programs and 750 classes. One of MSU's mantras is learn to lead the charge because MSU services Denver and is a steward of the community. They are Denver, just like we pride ourselves on being Denver. So msudenver.edu slash online to get a little extra education. It's never too late for you to learn something. Here, here. It's never, it's never too late for you to learn something from you. I'm Andrew Mason. Mm. And when I say you, I don't, don't just mean you listening. I also mean my co-pilot for the day, Andre Simone, joining me here while RK is on assignment. Oof, yes. Zach is on his assignment on vacation. <laughs> RK right. has his golf assignment with yeah. the guys from Altitude and uh, Henry Chisholm. So, Dre, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. I am doing well. I'm glad I don't have the pressure of uh, having to perform on the golf course with a live stream and all right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I would not want anybody to see me hit a golf ball. It's not that I don't enjoy golf on the rare chances I have a the opportunity to play, mm -hmm. but 
my swing is in dire need of an overhaul. If I ever was in a position where I didn't have to worry about money, I could just do whatever the heck I want, I'd probably test the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours theory on golf. And that would be my life. Just I'm going to figure out how to perfect it because, hey, in 10,000 hours, maybe I could make myself into somebody who was on the Champions Tour in six or seven years. I can't believe that eligibility is uh, (laughs) that close for me. I'm just getting old, man. Hey, it happens to the best of us. Yeah, I don't know. I I would definitely go the Malcolm Gladwell route if if money wasn't an issue and I could just indulge myself in whatever. I don't know that I'd go the 10,000 hours in the golf route, though. I think I'd find something else. What would you want to go the 10,000 route or 10,000 hour route? exercising would be a really nice way if i could incorporate exercising and like travel like i really admire those people who are like cycling tourists they'll like you know they'll they'll take a bike and travel across countrysides and different areas of the world and try to go on the alps and recreate certain tour de france stuff that'd be cool Um, right yeah i think i think maybe that'd be something i dedicate myself to that actually sounds pretty nice that sounds that sounds pretty cool. I think uh, I'd probably try to make sure I I got workouts again. If if money isn't an object, I'd probably st- just kind of have a life that involved golf or maybe some pickleball or curling. Mm. That was the other the other one I thought about is that I'd try to put ten thousand hours into curling and become one of the oldest <laughs> oldest Olympians in the history of the Olympics if they ever have an Olympics again. I mean, shoot, in this environment, who knows? I saw a survey today that for the postponed summer Olympics that are currently scheduled for next summer in Tokyo, that only one of four people in Tokyo believes that the Olympics should actually happen next year. Yeah. The public definitely isn't on that side, but yeah, yeah, curling. Now, if you went the golf curling side, you could really have your, your summer winter cut out for you. I think you, you just figured out a year round schedule. All right. So let's just kind of figure that out here. Let's say it's 40 hours a week and let's say, you know, four weeks of vacation because again money is no object so that's right putting 24 weeks into curling and 24 weeks into golf so if you did 40 hours a week on each for 24 weeks you'd put 960 hours per year into each of them so you'd approach the uh the 10,000 hour mark within a decade (laughs) yeah which I guess, relatively speaking, that's close <laughs> and uh, also ways away. Yep. Oh, in the, in the time being, I, let's talk about something that I think you and I have each probably put 10,000 hours of our life into already at this point, and that's football, and that's watching football and studying football. That's right. And, and all that here on the DMVR Broncos podcast. And yesterday, we got into some of the details and nuances of what training camp is going to look like altered because of the pandemic, of course. Well, one thing that we have seen from sports that are restarting is Mm -hmm. players opting out. And let's just take a look at Major League Baseball, for example. According to report, various reports, 14 players opted Mm -hmm. out of the Major League Baseball season. They're going to start the year of course, coming up here tonight and on Friday yeah. with 30 players on the rosters. So that's 900 players in total. You have 14 players opting out. That's 
1.55% of Major League Baseball players opting out. Mm -hmm. Over in the NBA, you had the potential, uh, of course, with, with 22 teams coming back, yep. 15 right. players per team. That meant that you had 330 possible players, 11 at this point officially deciding to opt out. Mm -hmm. That's 3.33%. Yep. So let's split the difference. 2.44%. Mm -hmm. If that per if you have that percentage of NFL players opt out relative to what the rosters are in the regular season, 53 players, yeah. that means you would have 41 players league wide opting out. Mm -hmm. So the point being that because the NFL and the NFLPA have worked out the possibility of opting out, the details yes. have to be finalized. But they've worked out these possibilities. So the fact is every team has to face the notion that they could be losing a prominent player, probably more toward the older or veteran end of his, of right. his career as a part of coming back. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that doesn't seem like a far-fetched estimate. For as many players are in the NFL, yeah, seeing 40, 50 opt out. Seems very possible, very plausible. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, that's that's really interesting. You were able to get all those uh, all those numbers, and of course, you know, we could go through the NWSL, who might have had more dropouts, the right. MLS, who might have had less. But when we compare, you know, the type of money NFL players make, I think it's much more comparable, obviously, to the NBA and NH and MLB, and. I, that's really going to be a nice apples to apples comparison right there. And, and I would argue this, a lot of NFL players are probably looking at the NBA closely. Mm -hmm. And of course yep. the NBA is operating in a bubble and the, and the NFL won't be. So they right. may take a little bit from MLB. I think yep. MLB league wide, you're going to learn maybe about some best practices because MLB is going to have its teams and players traveling at least a month before anybody in the NFL goes on a road trip for a game. I think that's what you're getting out of that. I think players and their decisions as to whether to opt out or stay in, they'll look a little bit at the NBA even more. And so with right. that possibility, because there are 1,696 players on 53-man rosters if every 53-man roster is filled. So looking at that and – not wanting to speculate on which players yes. might opt out. I think that's key because I don't want to uh, start saying, well, this player is more likely to opt out than another. It's not fair to them. Mm -hmm. And everyone's got to make this decision on their own. And uh, right. a lot of guys are keeping their cards close to the vest as they should. Yep. But with every team facing the, the potential of opt outs, I'll, let's, I'll just put it to you. Beyond the quarterback, which players can the Broncos least afford to lose in this season? Which is a really interesting question because it comes down to not so much the most valuable player, but the most indispensable, the most irreplaceable. And I guess you have to start... Now, you could argue because it's a weaker unit, it's a younger unit, that the, the offense is the unit mo in a position to, to have the 
really in a position where you're not able to sacrifice valuable starters. Obviously, the defense, though, you're going to have the more high-end starters, the more irreplaceable guys. So that factors in here. Um, and given that, given the positional value, given that it's a pass-heavy league, um, and given the lack of depth at this position, I really think that by a, a significant margin, Justin Simmons is the player the Broncos are least um, able to replace and would be most hurt by if he were to choose to drop out. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you have to look at the depth of each position. Mm-hmm. And, and what we've seen, like, for example, last year the yep. Broncos played 12 games without Bradley Chubb. It's not something you want to do, yes. but you can get by at an outside linebacker and I think this is what uh, Ruby, our puppy here, is saying. You can get by an outside linebacker with Von Miller and Jerry Atachi. You can right. get by an outside linebacker with Bradley Chubb and Jerry Atachi. Yep. But at safety, you have only one backup with any kind of NFL experience, and that's Trey Marshall. And he filled in okay for Kareem Jacks mm-hmm. in the last two games. Mm-hmm. But wasn't posed with a lot of great challenges in those games. I mean, shoot, you were, in one of those games, you're going against a passing attack that was commandeered by David Blau, who <laughs> yeah, uh, right. may never start again. I don't think the Lions want to see David Blau start again at any point. Yeah. So Trey Marshall, was a, he, he did all right, but he was protected a little bit. I would also expand this to cornerback. And – the Broncos, they do have a lot of young guys. They're hoping that somebody emerges from that group that, is, that includes Michael Ojemudia, Duke Dawson, Devontae Bosby, mm-hmm. uh, Isaac Yadam. Yeah. But the bottom line is, if you lose either A.J. Boye or Bryce Callahan, you would presume that Ojemudia perhaps or Bosby, mm-hmm. I think they would be the two favorites – to step into an every down role rather than, rather than simply being the number three cornerback. But right. then you worry about who the number three is. So yeah. I think when you're talking about players that you can least afford to lose, I think the list starts with your four, your four starting defensive backs mm-hmm. just because of, of what you don't have behind them. I mean, shoot, if you, if you lose Justin Simmons or Kareem Jacks and you're down to one – safety with a lot of experience then you're an injury away from having a safety core that is trey marshall and somebody who hasn't played in the regular season before that's almost certainly meaning you're having to go on the street and look for safeties who've been cut by other teams you are really scrambling to get by so to me that probably makes justin simmons and kareem jackson one and one a on this list yeah absolutely and i mean i I like how you you explained the dominoes effect of not having either of those guys. And I just argue, you know, Simmons has, and this is something I talk a lot about on the draft podcast, he has that premier skill set. And it's, uh, you know, it's that range in the deep middle. And if you did lose Simmons, then what do you do? You put Kareem Jackson in that area? Could Kareem do it? Sure. Not at the level Justin Simmons can do it. And then you just took away Kareem Jackson's strength, which is able to operate downhill 
and be a, a factor against the run, really kind of man the middle of the field and make you think twice before you, you stretch out to catch a ball over the middle of the field. Once you take that enforcer out, you're really going to be in trouble. And you're right. Then the domino effects are clear. And, you know, quarterbacks, when they're reading coverages pre-snap, they're looking at the safeties first and foremost. If you have a guy who's basically has zero NFL experience, they become so easy to pick on. And then, yeah, that extends to the cornerbacks. We saw this last year. Anytime a Bosby uh, Yadam was out there, quarterbacks would just pick on him. But right. Derek Carr, it made things so easy for him when Yadam was out there because it was, oh, Yadam in off coverage, boom. I, I don't even have to read anything. It's as easy as just playing catch with the one guy that's covering Yadam in off coverage. And, and they tore the Broncos up. They couldn't get a, a stop, you know. And they were setting Yadam up for bad matchups too when they saw him out there because, you, of course, we saw it in week one and then we saw it again in week 17. They set up Darren Waller against Yadam. They knew that was something where they could feast and they did both times. That was yeah. a glitch that did not get fixed from between week one and week 17. Bosby is the guy that intrigues me beyond Ojemudi. I think – Ojemudi is a very good scheme fit for what the Broncos are, are going to try to do, and that's going to help them out. But the reason why Bosby intrigues me is because with Yadam, you could sense that uh, as they picked on him and he was playing back that the confidence was kind of flagging a little bit. But you didn't get that sense watching Devontae Bosby. And Aaron Rodgers did try to pick at Bosby when he went in for Isaac Yadam, and he didn't have anywhere near the same success. Bosby was able to hold his own, and he did the same thing against the Jaguars the following week. So if he's healthy, even though there was some promise from Duke Dawson at times, of course, you, you have Devontae Harris in that, in that mix as well, right. although he kind of got exposed in the second half of the season, which is part of the reason why you saw more of Isaac Yadam. Yeah. Bosby is the one that I want to see if he's healthy because if he is, I think he has the right mental fortitude yes. and emotional fortitude yep. to handle the role, not just the technical skills of a cornerback. And that's so key. I mean, we've seen it through the years. That's what stood out about Darren Williams. You know, he right. was a rookie. He, he wasn't always perfect, but he had that mental fortitude. You can leave him out on an island and not be scared, terrified that he would be torn apart one-on-one. He could hold his own. And that's right. Big difference between Yadam and Bosby. Yadam picked apart. Bosby could hold his own. And that's so key in an outside cornerback. All right. The other position on defense that I think you have some indispensable – pardon me, an indispensable scenario developing, it's not necessarily the strongest position. But, again, it's about the depth. Because defensive line, I think you have the depth to withstand losing yes. a guy or two. Yep. Although – I would say this probably the one that would be the toughest to replace just because you don't have somebody who's really an apples to apples replacement on the defensive line is Mike Purcell, even though he's a 40% of the game player mm -hmm. when you're in the base package. Right. But inside linebacker is the position where if you lost somebody, I think you'd get, I think you get really concerned just yeah. because you have some potential behind Todd Davis and Alexander Johnson. But there's just everyone has 
a question mark about him. Joe Jones, can he hold up physically? Josh Watson, can he make the leap as a player? Josie Jewell, can he figure out how to be at least passable in coverage? Justin Stranod, he's coming off of injuries from last year. And of course he's a rookie having to learn the game, having to learn the game. So if you lose either Todd Davis or Alexander Johnson, I think the red flags go up a little bit. 100%. And I mean, I, I think Broncos fans undervalue Todd Davis to some extent because it's easy to get upset when you watch him against the Chiefs and you say, boy, they're just picking on him. He keeps giving up 10, 15-yard gains. Look, that's by design. The Broncos would much rather give up 10, 15-yard gains to Travis Kelsey over the middle with Todd Davis there than giving up 50-yard bombs to Tyreek Hill or McCole Hardman. Um, And Davis, to his credit, is always in the right spot. Uh, Rarely can I think of Todd Davis giving up a big play in coverage. So while, yes, he's not Levante David, he's not, you know, some phenom coverage linebacker, he's not Bobby Wagner or Luke Keekly, he can hold his own. He's the quarterback of that defense. He's still very physical, very, uh, you know, his gap responsibilities are almost always on point. He's a tough player to replace, especially with young, inexperienced players who have significant holes in one area or another of their game. So I think while that goes a little underreported and underrated, I I think you make a really valid point there, especially on Davis. Yeah, and he fills in the gaps that still exist in Alexander Johnson's game. The two of them are ideal partners because they're like jigsaw pieces. What Todd Davis is missing kind of the hair on fire explosion going sideline to sideline Alexander Johnson has what Alexander Johnson doesn't yet have. And he's still learning. And that's kind of the cerebral part of the game, mm-hmm. the, the mental discipline, the ability to avoid the missed assignments or yep. MAs as they're referred to in football parlance. Todd Davis has very few MAs. Yep. Todd, yep. Todd Davis helps Alexander Johnson gets set up pre-snap, make sure that he's in the right spot. Yeah. It, was, it was something to watch the two of them grow together because by the end of the season, you could see how well they're working well together. And they reached that point that Brandon Marshall and Dane Trevathan were at when they were peaking back in the mid-2010s where mm-hmm. you could see kind of the hand signals pre-snap and uh, they were able to give each other a look and know yeah. what the other was going to do. And what the other should do. Isn't that a great thing? And Purcell, you're right. Tough to replace because he's one of a kind on that roster. And we saw how key he was to the run defense last year. And not to disrespect the kid, nose tackles like that, you could find maybe a 75% worth replacement of Purcell as a street free agent, right? In in just the toughest of spot you could replace him that way. The run defense, though, without Davis and Johnson or one of the two, man, that would really hurt the run defense. I like yeah. really hurt the run defense. Yeah, yeah I, I don't want to think about that, mm. quite frankly. I think there's someone like Justin Stranod, if he can make a quick adaptation to the pro game, can be a plus player in coverage. But yeah. at this point against the run, I think it's something that's going to take a little time for him. I think yeah. uh, str- the ideal situation for Stranod is – getting some snaps here and there in coverage and uh, then hope it, and then hoping that he can bulk up over time against the run. The other ideal situation, a guy that 
they haven't quite figured out yet mm-hmm. is Justin Hollins coming back for his yep. second year. Yep. You know, you like him at, do you like him on the inside? Do you like him on the outside? I mean, it was a little bit of everything for Justin Hollins last year, but uh, he, he's an X factor that could help out if you did lose somebody there. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, what, what I, what I saw last year, I think the jury is decidedly out on him. Yeah, absolutely. He showed flashes in both areas, but it's not clear what is he. I wonder if given the full-time Alexander Johnson role, could he do an adequate job replacing him, you know, as an A-gap blitzer and, you know, decent against the run and maybe just enough range and coverage with that length to make up for it. Replacing Todd Davis, though, would be very hard. I like what you said about Sternod. Definitely some some appealing traits and coverage. I like the sideline to sideline mobility. I do have questions. Does he have the prowess coming downhill to stop the run or, you know, make those plays around and behind the line of scrimmage? And does he have the range moving backwards? So sideline to sideline, I like him, but backwards or forwards, I have some questions. Yeah, I I like him against tight ends going into the flat. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because watching some of his work at Wake Forest and the way that he covered going sideline to sideline, he, he, he was what I wish Josie Jewell had been because Josie Jewell sometimes in coverage when he was covering tight ends and running backs running out into the flat, he got a step or two behind. I mean, for example, Troy Fumagalli, nobody's idea of a burner was Mm -hmm. able to easily get separation in the flat on Josie Jewell. So I wish I could take that ability of Stranod Yes. Keep it with him, of course, but also transfer that ability to Josie Jewell because if you could, I think you'd be much closer to having a complete linebacker there than you have right now. And right now, Jewell, it, he's probably going to be on the team, but he's a fringe player heading yeah. into year three. Yeah, he certainly is. It would be – there's so many guys like that. I just wish I could combine that guy's strengths with the other <laughs> guys. Yeah, yeah that's, that's sort of the story of the inside linebacker position. It's a lot of Ooh. guys that don't have – everything but have something so we've talked about the defense it's interesting we haven't touched on the guys on offense who are mm-hmm. indispensable but i would argue this you love Cortland sutton he's a he's a pro bowler he's a legit wide receiver one yes but i allude to this in my article on the dmvr.com as i'm going through camp competitions and i looked at the number three receiver the broncos a- actually have good depth and it's not just talking about jerry judy being a wide receiver too and K.J. Hamler competing to be wide receiver three, Mm -hmm. but Tim Patrick and Deshaun Hamilton, these are guys that have shown flashes of becoming productive receivers. For example, I mean, you take take Tim Patrick and look at him. He's played 12 games Mm -hmm. in the last couple of seasons. So if you take what he's done in those those 12 – or, tw- or he's more than that, but go through his 12 games after he emerged as somebody who was going to be a number three or number four receiver. And so that's why I started there. I started at midseason of 2018. Yeah. So take that and his per 16 game averages would be 47 catches, 613 yards and four scores. So as a number three type of guy, productive. Totally. Deshaun Hamilton, he's had some promising moments even though, I mean, the drops are absolutely frustrating for him. But Deshaun Hamilton had the two best games of his career in the last two weeks of of the regular season of 2019, Mm -hmm. working with Drew Locke. Mm -hmm. So 
65 yards in back-to-back games, there's some chemistry there. The point being, if you had to function without Cortland Sutton, you'd hope Jerry Judy could make the transition to being a wide receiver one, and you'd figure that Patrick and Hamilton could be per- – and, and Hamler would be productive down the line. And so in terms of indispensable players, as good as Cortland Sutton is, he doesn't come in maybe in the top five because of the depth that exists. Yeah, you're right. And truth be told, you need a, a contested ball, you know, mismatch on the outside who's more of a straight-line speed guy. You have options in Noah Fant and Albert O, too, to kind of flex those guys out. And, you know, it's still 11 personnel, but it's actually more 22 personnel because you have those big tight ends who in certain spot duty can even be those big outside receivers. So, yeah. I agree with you on offense is tricky because outside of the quarterback, you kind of like the depth behind everyone. I would argue the guards are maybe the most valuable and most irreplaceable, but that's similar to the edge rushers where it's like, if you lose just one, well, I like a enough to replace Bradley Chubb or Von Miller. Same thing with Elijah Wilkinson. He's serviceable enough to, to be an, an okay replacement. So then does it become almost like the similar to the linebackers, one of the most hated positions by the fan base <laughs> is actually one of the hardest to replace uh, because, you know, Juwan James, I think goes without question, but to some extent, Garrett Bulls as well is going to be the, a tough to replace here as well. If, if he were to bow out, which I seem, I see as very unlikely for you. I, I think that's very unlikely as well. Now, there is ostensibly going to be a competition at tackle between Wilkinson and Bowles. I don't think it's going to be much of a competition. And really, when we're talking about the structure of training camp anyway, as we alluded to on yesterday's podcast, there isn't really room for much competition between Wilkinson and Bowles. It's almost, it's going to almost certainly be Bowles as starting left tackle. You're just hoping Jawan James can hold up at the, at the right tackle because if not, it's Elijah Wilkinson again. Now, Wilkinson, like Bowles, had better numbers in terms of hurries allowed, pressures allowed, et cetera, with Drew Lockett quarterback. So are you in a position where you can get by with Wilkinson at right tackle if Juwan James has injuries? Yes, but it's still not something that you want to have happen. And then, sort of like safety, if you don't have James or Bowles in the mix, then what happens if you lose the other tackle? And then all of a sudden you're talking about hoping that Calvin Anderson's, you know, Twitter, that his on-field game matches his cryptic tweet game because Calvin Anderson is the best cryptic tweeter on the roster right now. He's also one of the smartest players on the team, which is something that I think is going to keep him in the league. But as always, if you've got the intelligence, sometimes it's just making sure that the body can do what the mind wants it to do. I'm intrigued by Calvin Anderson. I'm looking forward to seeing him out there, but I'm not necessarily saying that I want him starting at tackle in a pinch this year. Yeah, totally. I mean, your alternatives, I guess Dalton Reisner wasn't a bad right tackle in college at Kansas State, and you do have Moutian Wilkinson who could plug that gap. But yeah, the the trickle-down effect becomes pretty noticeable. Mm -hmm. And you figure Mooty is getting a red shirt here. And I think that's, that's yes. the ideal scenario for him, given all the injuries that he had, especially the, the Liz Frank one. I, you know, that, that, 
I'm more concerned about the comeback from Liz Frank than I am his other injuries heading into this process. So just give him, just give him some time. I'd like to give him this year to, to make sure that he's back. Tight end, it's kind of like receiver. You've actually yeah. got some quality behind Noah Fant. Yep. And then running back, you literally have two RB ones. Yep. So that those are, with all respect to Philip Lindsay and to Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon, if you had to lose one of them, you could get by okay. And if you, and if there was an injury that struck the second one, then you know you could hang in there with Royce Freeman and uh, hope that Levante Bellamy or Kalfani Muhammad took a, took a step up. But running backs you can find, receivers yes. you can find. Yes. It's harder to find tackles. I think what's interesting is that by focusing on inside linebacker safety and tackle of course when we're not talking about quarterback when we're excluding quarterback from all this Mm -hmm. that we focused on three positions that are really hard to find from the college ranks right now because of the skill sets involved in them 100 percent. that's just the way the game's changing that to some extent in Conferences like the Big 12, linebackers are almost obsolete. <laughs> They're almost hybrid players, right? You better have a yeah. safety or some guy who can rush the passer and he's kind of a hybrid edge linebacker. And, you know, safeties who can cover cover and have range and IQ, boy, those are unique. And tackles have basically gone extinct. I mean, we're not getting tackles to play with their hands in the ground. This starts from like seven on seven and Texas football and before they even hit the preps, you know, where O-linemen are kind of becoming obsolete. We don't have the time to coach them and train them. So we're, we're kind of cutting corners. And by the time they get to the NFL, it's they're, they're behind the game on everything else. It's well, think crazy. About, well, think about Garrett Bowles, for example, and he was someone who got a relatively late start, Yeah, but watch him at Utah. The yep. hand isn't in the dirt. And yep. that's something for me that unless I'm running a Chip Kelly kind of offense or, or something of that ilk. If the, if the tackle hasn't showed he can function with the hand in the dirt, that's a negative strike. And that just, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm going back to the Ryan Ramchick Garrett Bowles. Well, again, I don't care, but you had one guy who had done everything that an NFL tackle would be asked to do and another who hadn't. And that's why that pick I think continues to haunt the Broncos. Yeah, totally. That that was so unique too, because they're both kind of transfers, and there was questions right. with both, like eh, the you know coming from the JUCO route, the love for the game, how polished are they, and what have you. And yeah, it was weird gambling on the older prospect for the high upside. <laughs> but you know, the lack of tackles is why leagues like the XFL or the what. Well, AFL was it? Um, AAF. AAF struggle because, uh, you know, it's just unless you have really creative play calling, which is how the college game is able to circumvent the lack of good pass protectors, you're really going to struggle. The passing game is really going to struggle with just the, the lack of depth worldwide we have on the offensive line and especially at tackle. Good stuff, Dre. Before we go on to hear from our wonderful listeners, I want to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. And, of course, if you're in the Denver area, make sure you get that Mile High City 15 can pack. You can get your local grocery store, of course, at our friends at Davidson's Liquors. If you're in the Denver area, also note that they've got a great restaurant down at their facility in Littleton, down at the Mm -hmm. brewery there called The Farmhouse. And it's open. 
You can make reservations, have lunch down there, but if you're more comfortable just taking out, they're there for you. They will bring your order to your car. Call 303-803-1380 from noon to 8 p.m. for pickoff and use that magical code DNVR. Get $5 off your meal. And of course, you can not only get a good meal down there, you can get any any one of the array of mm-hmm. Breckenridge brews. But if you're not in the Denver area, you want to have Breck brews, make sure you use the Breck Beer Locator. Check it out at their website, breckbeer.com. And almost anywhere in the United States, you're not going to be too far from somebody that sells Breckenridge brews. I found a couple of places in the Madison area that uh, mm. had it in stock in Wisconsin when I was out there last month, able to have some strawberry sky when I was on my mini vacation at my brother-in-law's place in Madison, sitting by the pool, enjoying enjoying the night air, having a Breck beer. A Breck beer. Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNBR. And of course, if you want to celebrate winnings, at DraftKings, you can you, you can have a Breck beer. If you want to drown your sorrows, you can have a, a Breck beer. Either way, with baseball starting up, the NBA and NHL ready to go, mm-hmm. the wait is finally over to have oh. team sports back in this country. DraftKings Sportsbook, though, since Colorado legalized sports wagering back in May, it's provided all sorts of stuff. You could even have bet on table tennis. Millions yep. of dollars literally bet on table tennis back in May when there wasn't a lot going on. The DraftKings Sportsbook, it's not some offshore operation like some other gambling sites. It's a legitimate sportsbook based right here in the United States so you can be confident that your funds are secure. And, of course, just you know, you're going to have fun watching the Rockies this weekend. You know, Dre here is wearing an Owen Arenado shirt. I'm wearing a Rockies jacket. How much more fun would it be if you're watching a game when you got a little got a little skid in the game? Maybe you got a little wager on the Rockies this weekend yeah. going down to Arlington against the Texas Rangers. The best way to get in on the action is with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use that code DMVR when you sign up for a limited time. All new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter that code DNVR and get your sign-up bonus to up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus, surpri- bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Let's talk to the people, Dre. Let's do it. Let's hear from the comment section, and we're going to start with MillerLife58, who says that Nick Wright on The Herd is <laughs> once again giving great, deep analysis of Drew Locke and the Broncos. Responding to Colin Cowherd, mentioning Locke as a potential factor in the Chiefs not having a dynasty, Nick Wright said, quote, the fact that you included Drew Locke, I'm just going to assume that was a senior moment, so we're going to throw that out, unquote. Continues later on him mentioning Locke. Drew Locke, I, 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 okay. He literally says nothing. Can't stand that guy. At least give some reason, anything. On another note, Cowherd mentioned an interesting idea of the NFL, including several two-week gaps for teams and pushing the Super Bowl back to allow for a 14-day recovery period if necessary for teams. Thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, the Drew Locke stuff is just insane. For him being a Chiefs fan, does he have any Missouri connections? I mean, I wonder how deep this goes because if he's connected to that local sports scene, you'd think he'd have some respect for a quarterback who was able to take Mizzou um, you know, to be in a nationally ranked uh, top 25 team in the SEC while being heavily outmanned. Uh, I mean, I think that's a pretty remarkable accomplishment from a, a, one of Missouri's true sons. So I really wonder what's going on here with Nick Wright. And I mean, we all know he's far from a finished product, but uh, geez, you gotta be, you gotta at least give the kids some credit, you know? Well, Nick Wright was born and raised in Kansas City, but then he went to Syracuse University. Mm. But I wonder if Nick Wright grew up a Jayhawks or a Kansas State fan. Because Kansas City, even if you're on the Missouri side, Kansas City is kind of, uh, I wouldn't say neutral ground, but you've got Mizzou, you've got KU, you've got K-State, and they all are represented pretty close to equally in that region. So just because he's from Kansas City doesn't mean he's a Mizzou fan. He might well be a Mizzou hater. That said, I mean, I've watched a lot of Drew Locke at Mizzou because it's one of the schools that I went to. And, I mean, I can see the skepticism. I mean, the problem with watching a quarterback too closely is that you see every flaw eventually. And even last year in the five games that he played, the, the, the thing that I took from it is that everything he did well, at some point he did at Mizzou. Everything mm-hmm. that he struggled at, at some point he did at Mizzou as well. Like you look at the throw to a Noah Fant that got picked off in the end zone in the snow in Kansas City, trying to make something happen. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of that at times with Drew Locke, trying to oh, make yeah. something happen and throwing into trouble. But uh, yep. the arm talent is there. And I think the thing that Nick Wright needs to revisit here and where he's wrong is that a quarterback does have the capability and capacity to grow. One thing that was really worth noting about Drew Locke is that the best and most efficient stretch of his career at Mizzou was at the end, the second half of that mm-hmm. season. Oh, yeah. He kind of pulled himself up running an offense that had a lot more pro concepts than the one, than the one that he ran under Josh Heupel in the previous years. So I'm starting to think more and more that the Drew Locke that we saw in the back half of his senior season is the true Drew Locke rather than the guy who did some spectacular things, but would also make some, you know, also get into trouble because he was trying to do a little bit too much and trying to lean on all the arm talent rather than uh, having good fundamentals. So I think I really want to revisit where Nick Wright is a year from now on this uh, to see if he's still a Drew Lockator or if he still, or if he comes around, we'll see. I'm, I'm fascinated to watch this, but what about the, uh, the, the, the gap thing? That's interesting. I mean, I don't think they want to have a two week gap before the Super mm-hmm. Bowl, but I do know that in terms of their planning, they can push the Super Bowl back. So effectively between the bye week before the Super Bowl, the bye week in the regular season, being able to push the Super Bowl itself back a couple of weeks. You've got four weeks to work with. And right. I don't think they want to work with them as gaps to give teams rest. I think they want to have them there just in case they have to pull back and put the season on pause if there's a, a major wave that uh, comes in the fall. Right. Yeah, because what would the thinking be in giving every team an extra, like a, a two-week buy rather than a one-week buy? It's a regular season. This is regular schedules. If anything, the off-season load was 
less heavy and less preseason, so they should be fresher. This isn't like baseball, though, where they're squeezing 60 games into an even tighter spot or European soccer where the EPL is playing every three days, so it's a much more laborious schedule than it usually would. Right, and the other thing at play is that if you do stop, if you do stop the season – or if you do say, okay, we're going to have a couple of weeks before the Super Bowl and give those teams a chance to rest up. Well, the problem with having a couple of weeks to rest up is that's a couple of weeks uh, to kind of relax and maybe you, you go out and you're outside of your own little bubble, as right. it were, and does that expose you uh, to getting coronavirus and bringing it back to the team? I mean, you look at universities, for example. There's a reason why universities around the country largely are not scheduled to reconvene after Thanksgiving break. Right. They're saying everything after Thanksgiving, you're either doing remotely or the semester is done before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And, that's be- and that's because they don't want kids leaving and then bringing it back to campus. So right. I think when the NFL gets going, they're, going to, they're simply going to want to plow through this, hopefully without stopping. Yeah, I, I like that idea. I mean, that, that's kind of the onus is on them to do that. Yep. Count Locula, gents. You get to spend one game inside the body and mind of any NFL player in history. Which game and why? Don't make this about money or the girls or anything tertiary like that. I'm talking strictly the glory of the game itself. Love the count. Oh, man. I mean, do I cheat and go with Deion Sanders when he, the days when he'd play two games in one day? Ah. <laughs> pick six in October and then play a playoff game for oh. the Braves uh, the, the rest of the day. The that that all worlds. seems like the way to go right there, if you ask me. <laughs> well, I'm thinking in terms of being a part of like a big game, something mm-hmm. historic. Mm-hmm. And one thing, one thing that immediately popped in my mind would, would be to inhabit the body and mind of Johnny Unitas for the 1958 NFL championship game between mm. the Colts and the Giants, the first sudden death game yeah. in the history of the NFL. The being greatest game there, ever played, right? Yeah. Being, being there for a moment, but inhabiting Unitas' body and mind, knowing how significant this game was yeah. to making the sport. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure you can argue for Super Bowl three as well, but in terms of what that game meant in terms of the television con- contracts and coverage that followed, I mean, it was just a few years later that football overtook baseball right. as the number one sport in terms of avid following in this country. It, that was the ter- that was the seminal moment in making football the kingpin of sports in the United States of America, making the NFL in particular that kingpin. We had the AFL start a couple of years later. Who knows if the AFL is successful without the voracious appetite for pro football on television, which allowed the AFL, even in its fledgling years, to get a television contract with ABC right out of the blocks. So, yeah, being, a, being there and knowing what that game meant to what happened after that, that's where I'd want to be, Yankee Stadium late December 1958, as Johnny U handing the ball to Allen and Meek Cheesy across the goal line and the Colts won. Boy, that's a good one. 
That is a good one. There's also, you know, if if you could put me in the body of Barry Sanders for a game or Jim Brown for a game or, you know, some of Lawrence Taylor or Derek Thomas's best performances, uh, one of their multi-sack games, I'd take that as well. Yeah, that's a pretty Thomas, good one. The, the best game that he had, he lost. Yep. Yeah, I know. That's Crazy, the, right? He had seven Crazy. sacks and to his well, dying day, he regretted the one that he didn't get on the, the last eighth. play of the game when Dave Craig squirted away and yeah. I think hit Paul Scancy for the touchdown. Wow. Oh yeah, that a good ah. performance like that. Like Walter Payton when he set the record for single right. game rushing at the time. I think yeah. it was two hundred and seventy seven yards. I believe back in 1977 or so, right around that time. Um, And Bronco fans wouldn't want to hear this, but uh, Doug Williams in Super Bowl 22. Mm, I mean, can't blame you on that one. Yeah. Pretty special performance right there. Or just being anybody on that Washington offense, which is now the Washington football team officially. And they're going to sell gear that says, Washington football team established 1932. I mean, that, that might do pretty well. That, that runner, you know, I'm that probably going to buy some. Exactly. I'll be honest exactly. with you, just as a souvenir item, because this isn't going to last. I'll, I'll probably buy a Washington football team like mug or something right. like that, right. or a t shirt, just a, or a hat. I mean, it's. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. you would take Unitas and 58, correct? Over Namath and Super Bowl three, yeah. Or like playing for Lombardi as Bart Starr in the Ice Bowl or something like that. The problem is, if you're in the Ice Bowl, that means you have to play in 15 below conditions. (laughs) You might not come back with your nose. Yeah. (laughs) I will happily play for Vince Lombardi in Super Bowl two two weeks later (laughs) in Miami (laughs) when they wallop the Raiders. I want no part of 15 below. I, I've heard I, I've heard stories from people who were at that game Oof. about the extreme measures they had to take to to make it through. I mean, oh, you know, Vaseline and aluminum foil. Yeah. You know, fi- you know, finding pieces of styrofoam and sticking it in their boots. All I mean, just brutal. Yeah, it, brutal. Absolutely. So, Count, we're historians, but we're not willing to freeze our behinds off for history. That's where we draw the line. I just remember that some of the Bronco games where it was really cold walking on the concourse for 10 minutes, like before the, the Ravens playoff loss in January 2013, walking around for 10 minutes, and I'm like, and I'm in multiple, I'm in like five right. layers, right. and I'm just like, I'm good. I'm going to the press box, yeah. and I don't know how anyone can sit out here for what end up being literally nearly a four hour game. Right. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. So you got the next one. Yeah. Butcher all day says Boucher. um, Boucher. Boucher. Oh, like, like Bobby Boucher. Bobby Boucher. Very nice. We got an Elway quote here. Elway. Hey, Logan Ryan. How does a two year, $24 million fully guaranteed sound? More importantly, a check to pick on the very team that slight your amazing season by not even calling you up and offering you a deal week one. Monday night primetime even? Ryan, man, I was hoping for more money, but I just want to play this year and you guys give me the best chance at a juicy revenge game. Or, Elway again, Jadavion, you've been turning these big offers down left and right, but let's make one year 18 million work. 
You are the last piece to Mahomes' kryptonite. With a front that consists of Chubb, Miller, Casey, and yourself, there's no doubt in my mind that this is a world championship defense. Clowny. Mr. Elway, you make a strong case, and your group has a strong chance to be the number one defensive unit with me on it. Let's make this happen. I've been itching to prove myself again, and I can make this unit terrifying. Which route would you take? Well, I think if we're going by our earlier discussion about parts that you can least afford to lose, yep. as talented as Clowney is, you're probably taking Logan Ryan. Mm-hmm. These all sound good in the fantasy realm. Yeah. I do not think the Broncos are going up to anybody right now and giving 18 or $24 million guaranteed yeah. at this moment. Yeah, I just don't think it's there. I think they maybe would have locked on Justin Simmons before uh, before going to search the market. The clowny edition would make me very intrigued, though I think that would present a complete front change. You would have to go to a 4-3, your ends are chub, and clowny, right. and you can see if Von Miller in his 30s now could go back to playing some strong side linebacker. Yeah, and then Alexander Johnson's your weak side backer. We should be... Yikes. Yeah, I saw, the, I saw the look on your face there, Dre. <laughs> yeah, yikes. <laughs> a weak side linebacker, he is not. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. you probably don't have the roster to, to kind of pull that off. But, mm-hmm. Or right now also with the, the loss of revenue, the, the financial concerns as well. But, hey, it's yeah. nice to live in the fantasy world for a little bit. The Manning Face God. Hey, guys, mm. so we are almost done signing all of our draft picks, and it was about time. So I have a few questions. Number one, other than Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, what rookie has the most potential to make an impact this season? Number two, other than Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, which player has the potential to have a second contract? Number three for Mr. B. Number four, if healthy, how good is Natani Muti? Five, is it just me or do you just wish current wide receivers would pick jersey numbers in the 80s? I really think Jerry Judy would have looked better in 80 or 81. Thanks, guys, for all you do. Have a great day and stay safe. So let's go through these one by one. Beyond the first two picks, which rookie has the most potential for an impact this year? I assume we'll agree on Lloyd Cushenberry. Yeah, absolutely. Because the starting job is waiting for him right now. It's his to take. All he has to do is all he has to do is play well. And I would say if he goes out there and plays the way he did senior bowl week, he will remove all doubt within a week of the Broncos putting on their helmets. Yeah, you combine that IQ and uh, leadership skills to his length and pass pro mobility, he's a, he's a force to behold. I think with a little development, the Broncos could have a special player. And I would say this, that I think the answer is the same yep. for second contract. That's right. It's Cushenberry. I, I, mm. I expect big things from him. I, I, you know, you're, you're getting a, someone who you could have easily justified in the second round. If, oh, they, yeah. if they'd taken Cushenberry where they took KJ Hamler, I don't think any of us would have batted an eye. Oh, no, I'm ecstatic. Yeah. i say that's a great pick. Yep. Yeah, and he's a safe pick, you know, so we get excited about his upside, but he's a safe pick, which makes him an easy candidate for that second contract. Yep. Absolutely. If healthy, how good is Natani Muti? Natani <laughs> Muti's a beast. <laughs> Natani Muti's a top 50 prospect in this draft if fully healthy. Natani yeah. Muti plays some high-end left tackle at Fresno State. He just doesn't have the length for it. But you're talking about a guy who on the move on poles and stuff is an absolute tank coming downhill. Great run blocker, phenomenal in pass protection. He just lacks the length, but you put him at guard, he can be very, very talented. Um, he, he could be a high-end tenure starter if he can stay healthy. 
the speed and power blend when he gets into space and makes blocks downfield is frightening yeah. for opposing defenders. You don't want to take on you don't want to take that on in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I just want to make sure the Broncos are judicious with him yes. and don't don't think about the short term. Don't think about we've got to get him on the field now. Mm-hmm. Make sure he's a hundred percent because this is somebody who if he does get out there and flourish, you get him re-signed after four years, he can be on your offensive line for a decade. I mean, you can see the parts piece by piece of a long-term offensive line coming together here. And maybe uh, uh, the last thing to take care of will be tackling next year's draft. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I'll say this about Natane Muti. If injuries weren't a question, he – would have graded out almost identical to Will Hernandez, another small school prospect who went in the second round. And the Broncos were really hoping. I mean, probably if Will Hernandez is still available, he's the pick over Cortland Sutton, right? Yeah, and they profile very similarly in terms of the, in terms of the power that they have yeah. coming off the snap as well. Yeah. And then finally, the jersey number question, and Manning mm. face God, I've got to disagree with you here completely yeah. because yeah. I want all number rules excised gone you take whatever you want one of the coolest things in college football is seeing a pass rusher wearing a single digit and to me number one in particular is a wide receiver number i wish that jerry judy or kj hamler or Cortland sutton any of the receivers i wish one of them was wearing jersey number one that's a single digits teens 80s they're all good wide receiver numbers but just let the guys take what they want i understand why the number system existed in the first place it was for fans to more easily identify players but i think we're kind of past that now just let let the guys take what they want yeah i'm kind of with you i might be more of a purist but you make a strong case and especially single digits let wide receivers wear them i'm all for that oh my gosh that's Oh, I, I, it bothers me that they can't. I mean, I know, it's so no, especially because it's is reduced a, rosters, so you can easily make it work yeah. so you have no repeats. Yeah. Oh, boy. Anyway, this is something I could go on for a while about, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Am I right? Amarillo asks, I regret to inform my boys that I will not be taking in the podcast next week. However... I do not regret to inform you that the reason behind my absence is that I will be spending the next week in my absolute favorite part of your great state and cell service is unavailable. After 53 weeks without a vacation, I'm heading out to Williams Creek in the San Juan National Forest, Pagosa Springs area, and will hopefully be cleaning, cleaning up on rainbow trout, brown trout. Mm and Kokani Salmon while you folks keep things rolling in Broncoland. Going to Williams Creek every summer was a tradition in my family until we all grew up and left home. It was our place to camp and fish. After about a 15-year hiatus, I decided to take my wife there back in 2018, and we have renewed this tradition together. Now, not a summer goes by that my wife is not itching to go just as badly as I am. It's generational now. I can't be there and not think about all the good times I had with my family while growing up and the new memories we're making there now. The bass fishing is fine here in Texas. I just prefer trout fishing and cool mornings and nothing comes close to enjoying the views of a clear mountain lake 
by reeling them in. We happen to have a shortage of clear mountain lakes in the Texas panhandle <laughs> and mountains and lakes. Hopefully I'll be able to enjoy a few RK specials with my signature jalapeno trout. As John Denver said, I guess he'd rather be in Colorado. And in the parlance of Drew Locke, let's go. Signed, a happy Texan headed to his favorite place on God's green earth. Am I right? Or Colorado? Oh, boy. When you see a message like that, you are reminded of what a privilege it is to live in Colorado. No kidding. And really have is. that natural beauty. I mean, I, I was thinking about that even a few weeks ago when I was stuck in traffic on I-70 going up in the mountains. What a beautiful place to be stuck in traffic and not moving and just look around and see see the mountain oh, vistas all around you i mean that's yeah, that's amazing it makes a bad situation tolerable truly does. oh yeah. boy so that's that's really cool have a great time am i right or amarillo enjoy enjoy your week of fishing hope you uh you get you get some get some big ones and uh you know that uh, you eat what you catch or you throw it back mark it snatch hey guys our trip around the afc north brings us to the cleveland browns and there's much to unwrap. First, why is the Browns-Broncos connection so significant? Is it the orange? Is it the easy trade negotiations? Why are these teams' histories so intertwined? Second, taking the Browns to the Super Bowl is an amazing sentence in the American contribution to the English language. Shout out to the Big Tabaski for learning this in a hilarious PS4 Madden League discussion a couple weeks ago. Would this phrase exist were it not for the Broncos? wouldn't that's a good point three mr b four the trade history between the two is as fantastic as it is underrated why are these two teams so great with transactions would denver have ever had an offensive line in the 2000s without the browns i think he means defensive line but yeah Mm -hmm. the old brown that's who you're talking about the pate would peyton hillis be on his way to the hall were it not for the cleveland browns (laughs) and please convince me that jano is going to be fine in ohio Five is right out. A top 10 game in NFL history, simply known as the drive. Up until Super Bowl 32, the 1986 AFC Championship was the most iconic moment in team history. John Elway's reputation for being clutch is built on this game. Were it not for him doing his best impression of a helicopter, this game may have been his defining moment as a player. It is, without a doubt, the best game between the two franchises. That being said, what other games get overshadowed by the drive? Oh, the fumble is the other logical <laughs> one, right? Boy, the Browns, that is, man. That's, that's what you think of. Um, to sort of illuminate John Elway against the, against the Browns and how he tortured them, mm-hmm. one of the first moments where you knew John Elway was going to be something extraordinary actually came against the Cleveland Browns back in his rookie season. He had, of course, some struggles. In the previous starts leading up to his game against the Cleveland Browns, he had, and, and this is in week uh, 14, and John Elway had started seven games before playing Cleveland. Mm-hmm. The Broncos had done okay. They won the first two starts that John Elway had, but then lost the next three. So two and five in Elway's seven starts. And his passer rating in those first seven starts were as follows. 0.0, Mr. Blutarski, 58.8, 56.8, 36.6, 10.8, 
43.8 and 26.0. He had a a good performance coming off the bench at Seattle in November of that year, but that was not a start. So at that point, there are questions about John Elway. Well, against the Browns, he goes out there. The Broncos route Cleveland 27 to 6. He goes 16 of 24 for 284 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. It it is his first game where he's really in firm control of things, and it happened against the Cleveland Browns, and it was a huge game in making the Broncos a playoff team that year. Cleveland was right there contending with them. The Broncos went into the game 7-6. and Cleveland was 8-5 and going into it. Cleveland ends up missing the playoffs on a tiebreaker at nine and seven with the Broncos. And that game was crucial. So it all started there for John Elway, the Broncos, and how the Cleveland Browns were so tortured by the Denver Broncos over those years. You know, my darling grandfather, who's taught me everything I know about American sports, he always gravitated to great coaches who are never quite appreciated. And few people does he respect more in sports than poor Marty, Marty Schottenheimer, who yes. I think about in these discussions. Because if not for Elway, maybe Martin Schottenheimer is that generation's Bill Belichick. I mean, yeah, like just harassed by Elway and the Broncos, though, couldn't catch a break, couldn't beat him in the big one and take that next step. It's just crazy. It's fascinating to think how history might have changed because yeah. if the – Broncos don't beat the Browns in back-to-back years. Cleveland, I think Cleveland goes to Super Bowl and loses. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't think they beat right. the Giants. I don't think they beat Washington. Right. I don't think anybody in the AFC for a long time was beating Washington with yes. Doug Williams playing that game as he did. But because of those two losses, after the 88 season, the Browns go one and out in the wild card round in a season defined by quarterback injuries. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Art Modell says, I'm tired of going to the playoffs every year. And he moves on from Marty Schottenheimer, places him with Bud Carson. Bud Carson gets them back to the AFC Championship game in 89, but then in 90, the whole thing collapses, and they go 3-13. and So, first of all, if he doesn't fire Marty Schottenheimer, I don't think the Browns fall apart in the early 1990s and have to do a major rebuild Mm -hmm. that – they had to do under, of all people, Bill Belichick, who was hired to replace uh, Bud Carson. I believe Jim Schaffner was the interim coach in between Carson and Belichick. So if, yeah. if that happens, if the Browns stay in contention, if there aren't ill feelings, for example, Bill Belichick cut Bernie Kosar at midseason of 93, angering the entire fan base. Yeah. Is there a more receptive climate in Cleveland – to building Art Modell, the stadium that he wanted, or putting massive right. renovations in the municipal stadium like he wanted. Yeah. Because at the time, they built an arena for the Cavs. They built a new stadium for the Indians. Yeah. Art Modell was feeling left out. Would that yes. have been the case if the Browns don't struggle in the early 1990s, if Marty Schottenheimer is still their coach? Yeah. So maybe the Browns don't move to Baltimore and become the Ravens. Maybe somebody else moves to Baltimore. Sadly, I think the team that, for me personally, if the if the Browns right. had not moved, I think the team that moved to Baltimore would have been Tampa Bay. Yeah, crazy. And I mean, they the, were on the deck. team, 
the team moves and they that staff had Bill, Bill Belichick as the uh, the head coach, Nick Saban as the defensive coordinator, Ozzie <laughs> Newsom as what the assistant GM gets promoted to full time GM. So you're talking about the greatest GM of the past two decades, best NFL head coach yeah. maybe of all time, certainly of the last two decades, best college football coach maybe of all time, certainly of the last two decades. I mean, geez, it's uh, it's terrifying what the Browns have done. Terrifying. Yeah. And Cleveland has to sit there and look at those guys and know that they were in their building. They had to look at that Marty Schottenheimer went to Kansas City. He kept right on winning. Right. He had that year in Washington. I mean, it's hard to win with Dan Snyder, but they started yeah. 0 and 5 and finished 8 and 8. And then Dan Snyder said, you know what? I don't want any part of a coach that turned my team around and went in, in the course <laughs> of a season despite injuries and having to play Kent Graham at quarterback and going eight and eight. I don't want that. I'm going to move on. And so what does Marty do? He goes to San Diego and turns the chargers into a contender. Really? (laughs) And John, but he he and John Butler, uh, the GM who passed away, Mm. did a lot of the heavy lifting on making the chargers into what they became as a perennial contender for a long time. I still think that the chargers, had hung on to Schottenheimer after that 14-2 and season, that in the next couple of years they would have finally gotten to the Super Bowl, that they would have gotten there with Philip Rivers, that North, bringing in North Turner was the worst thing they could have done and yeah. kept the Chargers and Philip Rivers from realizing their potential. I agree. How many Broncos rivals has, <laughs> has Martin Schottenheimer getting fired save the, save the Broncos from seeing a rival win a Super Bowl? I mean, I'm, insane. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. And, of course, I don't care how poor the communication is for you, A.J. Smith, who replaced the late, late John Butler as GM in San Diego, and A.J. Smith and Marty Schottenheimer weren't getting along very well. I don't care how poor it is. You yeah. just went 14-2, and two and you lost to the Patriots, not because you weren't prepared, not because you weren't good enough, but because Marlon McCree didn't secure the ball. That's not on coaching. that's 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 not on marty i'm sorry that is that now there were bad like that was one of those bad things that happened to marty that was that clearly was not marty's fault right yes (laughs) insane just oh uh, yeah i'm i'm a marty guy as well i'd i'd like to see him get his his just due but uh yeah his Hall of Fame resume, because it, he didn't even get to a Super Bowl, is probably going to fall, fall short. But yep. the man made every team that he was with better. I mean, right. That's, right. there's something to be said for that. That's coaching. Before we move oh. on, I want to tell you about WGT Golf, the most oh, yeah. popular golf game in the world and the official gaming partner of DNBR. You can download WGT and join the DNBR 2 Clubhouse. Remember, DMVR is full, but DMVR 2 gives you all the same benefits, all the same tournaments, all the same fun. You do that by going to dmvrgolf.com. WGT Golf, it's played by more than 20 million people around the world. Of course, you can play it on any of your devices. You can play it on your tablet. You can play it on your iPhone. So basically, you can take the game anywhere. You can play closest to the hole or full stroke play on some great golf courses from around the world like Pebble Beach, Beth Page Black, St. Andrews, the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island. You you name the elite course, so many of them are right there at WGT Golf. Of course, if you just want to do a little top golf t- style action, they've got you covered as well with the top golf game mode. 
And if you want to make sure you play with your favorite clubs and, and golf balls, you've got a brand that you love. Are you a Callaway person, a Titleist person, a ping, a ping guy or girl? You know what? They've got those there too, the virtual versions of the golf gear that you love. Make sure you go to dmvrgolf.com and download WGT Golf today. Now, if you're going to play some real golf, you want to be comfortable. Yeah. You want to be comfortable south of the equator. So you need Manscaped because you're, you know, you're going to be out on the golf course like RK is today, like Henry Chisholm is out, out with him today. And you want to make sure that uh, everything is clean down there. That's you right. Clean, clean balls. Clean. Yeah. So yes. That's where Manscaped comes in, of course, because of what they've done to develop the lawnmower 3.0. You know what? You don't ever have to worry about saying, ow, when you're taking care of things down there. Not with Manscaped. No, no, no because they put 18 months into perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, that lawnmower 3.0. It features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. You're about to be nick-free if you take advantage of Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. To get 20% off your entire purchase at Manscaped, make sure you use that magical code DNVR20, and you'll be able to, to take care of everything down there trim that junk your balls are going to thank you for that and if you're out walking the course having a long day out there playing golf or if you're just taking a hike you're going to be thankful that you had the, the stuff from manscape you'll be thankful that you use the lawnmower 3.0 or that you use the crop preserver which is an anti-chafing deodorant for down there and the crop reviver which can give you a little pep in your step. It's got some aloe in it. It's going to make you feel good. Anti-inflammatory, nice. anti-burn, anti-dryness, and hydration control for everything down there. And if you get the perfect package from Manscaped with all of that, you'll have a travel bag, disposable shaving mats, and of course, a set of the comfiest anti-chafing boxers you've ever worn. Mm -hmm. It is the perfect package for your perfect package. Manscaped.com. And make sure you use that code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase and free shipping. All right. Dan Burke with our next question. And this is going to be a fun one because he says, uh -huh. just to expound on what May said yesterday about the Broncos front office being ranked 21st in that ESPN future power rankings. They had Ryan Pace and the Bears front office ranked 30th, LOL. The guy the league crowded executive, crowned executive of the year a couple years ago. Not that it's undeserved, but it shows how fickle perception is when you don't have a franchise QB set in stone. A quarterback really covers up a lot of sins. Look at Belichick's draft history over the years. The Seahawks botch the draft every year, but Russell Wilson covers all that up. Someone like John Harbaugh was on the hot seat until Lamar turned things around. It's unfair that his previous accomplishments get dismissed, but the perception of Elway, the GM, correlates to how well Drew ends up performing in his career. Wow. You know what? Ryan Pace, and there's another guy I think about as well. Remember Ryan Grigson? Yes. The NFL Executive of the Year because – he picked Andrew Luck number one overall, and the Colts went 11-5. and five. Yeah. Any semi-sentient <laughs> being could have picked Andrew Luck number one overall in the 2012 draft. I mean, 
Right. And they were also not as bad as the like two and 14 team they were the year prior without Peyton, you know, like the team just kind of fell apart because Peyton wasn't there to keep the standards, but the talent level was never that bad. They just kind of just gave up, you know? So yeah, it was a, and, and I mean, some of that is a bit of sentimentalism because wasn't Chuck Strong going on that year as well. Yes. And Bruce Arians filling in for right. Right. Chuck Pagano and, yeah, but think about that. You know, Ryan Grigson, who uh, has not been a general manager since getting fired by the Colts. His he crowning is, achievement was drafting he, Andrew Locke. <laughs> yeah, he is a senior football advisor for the Browns right now oh, after good. being a senior football <laughs> consultant for Seattle from 2018 and 20, 2019. If you are a... Uh, you know, if, if you're a, a senior consultant, don't you have to go by the name Bob, like in office space, the consultants? Hi, Bob. Bob. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a meeting with the Bobs. They called the, me at home. If the Browns started doing that, I'd get a feeling that maybe that front office finally is changing for good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, life moves pretty fast. But, yeah, the, the executive of the year thing, I don't know. I mean, John Elway. You can justifiably criticize the drafts kind of yes. in the middle of his tenure right yes. now. Yes, yes. But John Elway, based on his body of work, probably should have been executive of the year at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, the man's a hell of a recruiter. That's the other thing. I mean, if he's cooking with a winning team, he becomes a, a much better executive. It's just his strengths are in recruiting free agents, and he's – He's acknowledged his weaknesses and worked on those, and now they're polishing those up too. I mean, man. And the other thing is Elway's one of these few front office people who could do anything else. He could be that rich, rich sports celebrity just ca- being on TV and cashing in the checks and do whatever. But he grew up in this game. His dad was a coach and evaluator and all these things. He loves this stuff. He wants to do it. He wants to improve. And I mean – yeah, it, it's crazy how, how disrespected he, he is in these rankings, right? Yeah, very well put, Dre, very well put. Broncos, Sooners, NY Rangers, my boys! Yeah, I didn't get that in at the top of the show, <laughs> so I'm glad I'm getting it in now. Let's talk some football, shall we? I usually mm. always post Broncos-specific stuff, but I want to ask, in your opinion, who are the top 10 NFL players of all time for me? Number 10, Dick Buckus. Number 9, John Elway. Number 8, Walter Payton. Number seven, Ronnie Lott. Number six, Tom Brady. Number five, Peyton Manning. Number four, Lawrence Taylor. Three, Jim Brown. Two, Jerry Rice. One, Barry Sanders. I tend to lean heavily on the eye test, but Barry's productivity through college, breaking tons of records, and then the NFL, where he has one of the most impressive impressive stats I've ever seen, 10 seasons, 10 Pro Bowls, 10 All-Pros, first or second team. That's absolutely absurd. And then you can say, well, that's just stats. How did he play? Well, the highlights somehow make the stats look tame. Anyway, I just wanted to show some respect for the rest of the league. I love NFL history and have a deep respect for the greats who came before. This is a biased list, but I will say, remember the fans who voted for the 100 greatest players of all time had Elway in the top 10. So even though I may be biased, the NFL fans agree that at the time they was top 10 ever. Thanks for reading this long post. Go Broncos. Mm. Boy, this is just an amazing question, and um, I'm really excited to hear who your top five is, Mace. I'm yeah, because I've never sat down and and ranked them, and I feel like I would be, 
I would be missing out on on somebody. I feel like I'm going to oh, in, inevitably leave somebody out. But I know. it's funny to kind of talk about – I think about players who should be – who should be in and there are some old school ones like for example i've got to have sammy ball in my top 10 Mm. and the reason why is not only is he an all-time great quarterback who was probably about 30 years ahead of his time he's one of the greatest punters in league history and one of the best safeties in league history crazy a different time and he had to do all three and what was interesting, like he, he was one of the few guys in the in the late '30s to early '40s who didn't have his career interrupted by the Second World War. Mm-hmm. But the reason was because he ran a ranch in Texas in the off season, a cattle ranch. So what he did, because there was it was creating food, mm-hmm. it was considered essential to the war effort. So uh, that's why he didn't serve. Crazy. And interesting. So Sammy Ball, I, I feel like I should just say, okay, let's just name 10 guys, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to put them one through 10. Uh-huh. So Sammy Ball is on that, is on that list. Yeah. Um, Jim Brown and Barry Sanders and Walter Payton are on that list. Have to be. Have to be. Um, Jerry Rice and Don Hudson. Again, Don Hudson, another player who was decades ahead of his time as a wide receiver uh, that they're on the list. And then on the defensive side, you think you, Lawrence Taylor's there. Oh yeah. Um, boy. That's so tough. Dick, Dick Buckus is a great choice. Dick Buckus is a good one. Yeah. And, and yet, you know, excluding guys like mean Joe green is so hard for me, you know, um, it, there's so many great defensive linemen that I really have a hard time picking one. Um, to me, Lawrence yeah. Taylor is the greatest football player of all time, though. Oh, yeah. And and I think That's... I think Jim Brown, Jerry Rice are right up there, two A, two B for me, and Barry Sanders squeaks into my top five too. So I'm not that far off with what um, Broncos Sooner NY Rangers says. I'm. I, I love Ronnie Lott in the top 10, too. I, I think that's a great pick. And the best thing about Ronnie Lott is because you have him in there, you got safety and corner covered yeah. because he did both. Yep. He started off as a corner, yep. became a safety. A- another guy who maybe doesn't get a lot of love, but he had a career a lot like Ronnie Lott's. And why I'm putting him on this list ahead of uh, Deion Sanders, because to me, Deion Sanders wasn't enough of a tackle for me to make yes. my top 10, even yes. though you can argue as a shutdown corner is great, ob- are perhaps no the doubt. greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Rod Woodson is somebody who I think deserves to be in this conversation. And yeah, like Lott had the mid-career transition and was mm-hmm. just as good at safety as he was at corner. And Charles Woodson is another name that I think he's not on this list, but he comes close to cracking it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially when we want to include some college history, Charles Woodson. Boy, that's a it's a fun one to talk. And you know, I wouldn't shy away from including some some more modern guys. We this is a very like '90s heavy, '80s heavy yes. um, list. Aside from the court, you know, I, I mentioned Mean Joe, but Warren Sapp would be right up there for me too. And that's just personal. That's the era I grew up in. Those are the kind of players I love. Again, that college connection, someone from those great Miami teams to me. It would would highly be uh, featured in my top ten, top fifteen. If we're if we kind of take injuries out and say, okay, best player, 
which to me you time. should. To me, peak matters a lot more okay. than longevity. There's a, a player who's active right now who should be on this list is J.J. Watt. Yeah. Three-time yeah. defensive player of the year. Legit. And the funny thing is he, he could have retired after five seasons oh, yeah. with those three defensive player of the years. And you know what? He would have been a first ballot on my list, even for only playing five years. He's, he's almost sort of, like bizarro world Barry Sanders. Yeah, or he's like a defensive Gale Sayers. Yeah, right, right. That yeah. just ab- absolutely brilliant for a short time. You could argue that as a 3-4 defensive end specifically, he's the best oh. to ever play the game. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a prototype for sure. Yeah, if, we're, if we are focused on the peak of the career, then J.J. Watt might actually be in my is – a, is a present-day guy who's in my top ten. Yeah, that's a great one. That is a great one. And I tell you, two guys I'd consider maybe not top 10, but certainly I would get into my top 20 at least are um, running backs who I think revolutionized the game and Marshall Falk and LaDainian Thompson Mm. as receivers and what they could do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Falk being before Tomlinson, Mm -hmm. you know, it's funny because I think back on, uh, on, 1999 and i remember when the colts decided to trade marshall fall yeah, yeah. and they picked eggs during james yeah. i mean obviously you couldn't go wrong as it turned out because That's of right. what eggs became but still sometimes i think of what marshall falk would have been catching passes from peyton manning for a few years right because of what he showed with kurt warner and that rams offense and would uh, that have just been the greatest show on turf marshall falk and peyton together in in a dome in indy <laughs> oh my Oh right? my. One way or another, it was the greatest show on turf. It's just a matter of where Marshall Falk, what turf he was playing on. Yeah. yeah, and they were pretty productive together in 98 as well, even though the Colts went 3-13 and and Manning was working out his rookie issues. He'll always be happy to remind you of that interception record for rookies that he still holds yep. and that right. he hopes that somebody, that, that somebody will break. I, I always like that self-deprecating nature of Peyton Manning oh. to remember that he has that interception record. That makes him so that's, great. That's pretty awesome. That's a great, great question. Broncos, Sears, NY Rangers. Yeah. I thank you for letting us partake in that discussion. That was wonderful. The other Ryan says, gentlemen, it was great having Dre on yesterday's podcast episode. Well, thank you very much. Here's to a tremendous Thursday edition to circle back to some of yesterday's topics and the following thoughts. I love Jake the Snake dating back to his college days, but his lack of preparedness for the Week 17 game against San Francisco in the 2006 season was really spiteful and unprofessional. Plummer had to relieve Jake Hutler that game after he left with a concussion. Story here. Plummer's dereliction may have cost the Broncos a playoff spot. Granted, something much worse happened early in the next, the next morning when Darren Williams was senselessly murdered. Concerning the rumors of camp rosters being at only 80 this year, no preseason games and limited football and padded practices, does Chris Harris Jr. even make the Broncos roster in 2001 if teams were limited to carrying only 80 players that season? Finally, one last question. Given that there was no on-field work in OTAs, no preseason games now, and limited football practices until mid to late August, which undrafted rookie rookies 
do you think will make the week one final roster for the Broncos in 2020? As always, thank you for your unique insights and perspectives. Hopefully, we are in the home stretch now and can get back to football soon. The NVR Army salute. Yeah, it's a good point about Jake Plummer. And of course, that article also mentions a pass that he got intercepted when he was trying to wing it. But I will also say this. I mean, Jay Cutler, you know, he was knocked not he was knocked down pretty severely. And I would actually say that if the current concussion protocols existed, Jay Cutler would not have gone back in that game. And I think Jake Plummer would have stayed in. I think the Broncos would have won. Because Jay Cutler, his decision making in the second half at times was terrible, and and frankly, given the way he got his bell rung in the old school parlance, it was understandable. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of other things happened that day, like you mentioned with Darren Williams, but uh, you know that uh, basically made that moot. But I see where you're coming from. But that's also just Jake. You take Jake the good and the bad. I mean, Jake, and that's the right. thing the thing about Jake is that he made magic happen some times when he was just winging it that was just part of that was part of his nature it's part of also why he was probably not a good fit for mike shanahan yeah because mike wants things just so i think he actually would have fit kyle shanahan because mm. kyle shanahan one he's not a carbon copy of his dad right yeah and one thing with kyle is that he's a bit more willing to kind of let things flow yeah let things happen naturally. Let the, you know, not have not have it in mind that it's got to be a certain way. I think, you know, Mike Shanahan, he was a little like Beethoven conducting mm-hmm. an orchestra. Now Beethoven, right. as you know, was deaf. Yeah. So some, so Beethoven, he had it in his mind that Christ the music God. was supposed to sound a certain way and yeah. go at a certain tempo. So he'd be conducting, and the poor orchestra, a lot of the times couldn't keep up with him because he had it in his mind's ear mm-hmm. of how it was supposed to sound and the tempo it was supposed to be at and he's you know frantically waving his baton and trying to get the orchestra you know to where he is and, and there was that disconnect and sometimes with mike he had the idea of how this symphonic offense was supposed to be but then the reality didn't always match up and he got and he could get frustrated from time to time kyle was kyle handles that a little bit better but I'm also a big Kyle Shanahan fan. so Yeah, he's amazing. And Chris anyway, Harris Jr., do you think he makes the team? Back uh, in, in 2011, yeah. if they carry 80, yes. Mm-hmm. I think the what I think is going to be fascinating here is I think you'll see a lot of the players that get cut as they go from 90 to 80 be in places where you don't need as many guys like – you won't see kicker competitions. You won't see punter competitions. You won't yeah. see long snapper competitions. Right. And I think the other thing you'll see is that the guys that do get cut are going to be players that they've already seen. Mm-hmm. I think you'll, there will be a smattering of undrafted rookies who do get cut sight unseen, but I think a fair amount of the guys might be from the, from the reserve future group that you signed right. at the start of the year or players that you had in a previous camp because you got a glimpse of those, you know what those guys are, but you don't know what the incoming class is. It's, so, it's, it's guys like uh, Trandy Benson and Kelvin McKnight that I worry about if this thing goes down to 80 players. Right, and a final question was, any undrafted free agent you think can make the team here? Mm, um, 
I think is saying Bassey can push. Yeah. And yeah. Levante Bellamy, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he sneaks onto the roster at all. Totally. Totally. A bit of an uphill battle, but those are the two clear candidates to have a shot at making the roster. And Bassey's got, as a corner, Bassey's got a oh, yeah. spot at the back end of the roster waiting for him if he is what I, I think he can be. I, I'm, I'm, re- I'm real excited about him coming in. I think he's, I think he's got some – I don't want to say Chris Harris Jr. potential, but I think he's got the potential to, to stick and have a, a, a solid career totally. as a rotational guy and a special teamer. Yep. And finally, we got Super Bowling chiming in. Sorry a bit long today, but it's an emotional, bittersweet day, boys. By the time y'all put today's pot out, I will have closed on my first home. Hey, congratulations. Nice. An exciting feeling, something I've never felt before. My grandfather is my hero, one of my biggest inspirations, and somebody I strive to be like. I learned a lot from him during the time we shared. He took so much pride in his home. He was an incredibly skilled master mason, essentially building his home himself. It kills me that he isn't here to see that I'm following in his footsteps and becoming the second person in our family to be a homeowner at 26 years old. I'm hopeful that he's looking down from somewhere and is proud of me today. If only I had an RK special to celebrate with. <laughs> Somebody tell Brett Brew to stop neglecting the DMV. The District of Columbia, of course, in Maryland and Virginia. <laughs> Love y'all. You guys inspire me every day. DMVR for life. That's beautiful, beautiful. man. Thank yep. you. And congratulations to you. I mean, that's a, it's always a big thing, that first home, you know, that, that first sure step. Yeah. Makes you big feel move. like more of an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a whole lot more. You just yeah. added a lot of responsibility, no doubt. But it's pretty cool. So thank Great. you for sharing that with well, us. And before we go, I want to tell you about our friends over at Davidson's Liquors in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. They're locally owned, have a massive selection, carry our personal favorite Breckenridge brews, and the staff is incredibly knowledgeable. Their sales floor is back up and running, and you can take advantage of having that knowledgeable staff there. You don't see something for sale there, talk to them. They'll find a way to get you what you're looking for. I mean, they they bring they get this cider called J.K. Scrumpy from out of Michigan that you can find hardly anywhere else in Colorado, but Davidson's takes care of me there. But if you're not comfortable going into the sales floor, no sweat. They've got delivery. They've got curbside takeout as well. They'll bring it right to your car. And of course, to take advantage of that, you got to download their app. The Davidson's app is terrific, user-friendly. Make sure you, you go on the app store, whatever device you're using, get that Davidson's app. You can sign up for their loyalty program. You can get daily deals on their app as well. And that, that always gives you the best offers on deal. And of course, that 15-can Breckenridge Brewery sampler that we love, they will deliver it right to your door. Of course, supporting our partners is supporting us, and Davidson's a great partner of DMVR. We love having them aboard with us, and uh, I'm also a proud customer of Davidson's Liquors in Centennial and Highlands Ranch. Well, Dre, this has been awesome rolling with you the last couple of days, man. Let's do this again sometime. Always a pleasure, Mace, truly. So yes. thank you for having me. And yeah, we'll have to do this again soon. We definitely will. For Andre Simone, I'm Andrew Mason. Thanks for riding with us on the DNVR Broncos podcast. Ryan Konigsberg and I will talk to you on Friday, one day closer to Broncos training camp. Talk to you then.